What is going on, sports fans? Welcome to Season 6, Episode 9 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. Got a loaded show to get to this week, starting with a recap of Week 9 of the NFL season. The Browns shut out the Cardinals, give up only 58 total yards, another dominant performance from the defense, and they get Deshaun Watson back. I'll talk about his performance and where I think this Browns team sits heading into a big two-game stretch against the Ravens and the Steelers. We're also going to give our AFC and NFC updated playoff picks after watching the week that was week nine, about halfway through the NFL season now. So a lot of NFL to get to, some college football. I'll give you my updated top four playoff rankings and then the last two out, or first two out, excuse me, which would be five and six. So we'll do that. Also some MLB to talk about. The Rangers win the World Series, but more importantly, the Guardians have a new manager, as do the Chicago Cubs, which was a little bit surprising. We're going to talk about all of that good stuff and much, much more. Today is Tuesday, November 7th. Let's go. Welcome in to Season 6, Episode 9, the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. I'm your host with the most too sweet to be sour. It's the top of the hour. It's your man, Jack Bernie, with another week of all the sports talk you can get in one hour at a time. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast. If you like the podcast, follow the podcast on Instagram, at JoteSportsPod, at J-O-A-T SportsPod. I've been meaning to post more audio highlights, more episode highlights on there too, so I'll start doing that during the next couple of weeks as we get into the heart of kind of the college football and the NFL seasons here. Um, so we're going to do that. Follow the Instagram for that. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real J Burns at the Real J B E R N Z or at Jack Bernie TV. Those are where you can find me on Twitter. And of course, if you like podcasts, if you're a fan of what I do, go ahead and give the podcast a five star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, be a friend, tell a friend, share the podcast with your friends. I appreciate the support and listenership from everyone listening to this, whether it be family, friends, who knows, maybe someone who discovered the podcast on their own. I appreciate uh, all the support from you guys. All right, without further ado, it is Tuesday, November 7th. Time to recap week nine. (laughs) 
We start in Cleveland where the Browns took on the Cardinals. Deshaun Watson returned, and he looks like sort of the Watson of old that we expected when the Browns traded for him, throwing two touchdown passes. The helmet giveth, and the helmet taketh away. After last week, the Browns lost basically on a P.J. Walker interception off a helmet. Watson gets a touchdown off a Cardinals helmet that goes right into the arms of Amari Cooper. In just his second start for Cleveland in five weeks, Due to a shoulder injury, Watson throws two touchdowns. But the story was the defense, like it's been all season long for Cleveland. The Browns held the Cardinals to just 58 yards for Cleveland's first shutout win since 2007. Amari Cooper had 139 yards, and the Browns' defense led them to a 27-0 blanking of the Cardinals. How about we take things to Germany, where the Chiefs took on the Dolphins in the battle of the AFC Elite? Patrick Mahomes threw two touchdown passes, but the play of the game belonged to a, the Chiefs defense, which looks like a top five unit in the league. As safety Brian Cook scored on a 59-yard fumble return to give the Chiefs a 21-0 lead going into the halftime. The Dolphins responded with 14 unanswered, but their comeback fell short when quarterback Tua Tungaviola couldn't handle a snap on 4th and 10 from the Kansas City 31 with 103 to play. The Dolphins fell to 0-3 on the season against teams with winning records and haven't beaten a winning team since last season. People are saying they might be frauds. You heard it here first on Jack of All Trades. I've always been skeptical of Miami, but I do not think they are a Super Bowl contender. Kansas City is, and despite the offense getting off to a slow start this season, that defense is for real, and that should scare the rest of the league. Chiefs win 21-14. One of the games of the day was in Atlanta, where Josh Dobbs came in off the bench, did not know the plays, did not know his teammates' names, did not know the cadences, and still threw two touchdown passes, including a go-ahead six-yarder to Brandon Powell with 22 seconds left as the Vikings rallied to beat the Falcons 31-28 for their fourth straight win. The other game of the day was in Houston, a battle of two elite college quarterbacks who were top two picks in their draft, starting with Baker Mayfield, who put the Buccaneers on top with a 14-yard touchdown pass to Kate Otten with 46 seconds left. But the story was the rookie sensation, C.J. Stroud, who threw for 470 yards and five touchdowns, including his 15-yard touchdown pass to Tank Dell with six seconds remaining. Stroud is for real, and the Texans' future is bright. Scorigami as well as the Texans beat the Buccaneers 39-37. The marquee game of the late window was in Philly as the Eagles took on the Cowboys. Jalen Hurts threw for 207 yards and two touchdowns and ran for another on the brotherly shove to lead the Philadelphia Eagles to an 8-1 record after a 28-23 win over the Cowboys. Dallas had a chance to win this one multiple times, but a couple of costly errors kept them from winning this game. One was Dak Prescott stepping out of bounds on a two-point conversion that would have allowed them to just need a field goal to send the game into overtime at the end of the game. But on their last drive, the Cowboys got all the way down to the six, but Prescott was sacked by Josh Sweat for an 11-yard loss. After a penalty moved them to the 27, Prescott hit CeeDee Lamb for 22 yards, but they came up just five yards short of a win. As the Eagles fly, 28-23. We go to Baltimore where the Ravens showed that they are the elite bird team in the league, beating the Seahawks 37-3. Keaton Mitchell ran for 138 yards in his first NFL score. Gus Bus Edwards had two touchdowns as the Ravens roll Seattle 
37-3. To Foxborough, Washington versus New England. Sam Howell passed for 325 and a touchdown as the Commanders win the tank off against the Patriots, 20-17. In New Orleans, Derek Carr is no longer the best quarterback in New Orleans. Neither is Jameis Winston. It's Taysom Hill who caught a touchdown and threw for another as the Saints beat the Bears and go marching, 24-17. The new coach theory is alive and well. After the Raiders fired Josh McDaniels in the middle of the week, interim coach Antonio Pierce leads them to a 30-6 win over his former team. Josh Jacobs ran for 98 yards and two touchdowns. Max Crosby had three of Las Vegas's eight sacks as the Raiders beat the New York football Giants 30-6. In Carolina, the Panthers, after watching the guy they should have take, taken, 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 correct grammar there. Uh, the, the Panthers watched the guy they should have taken number one overall lead his team to a 470 yards, five touchdowns, and a come-from-behind victory. Their quarterback threw two pick sixes to Kenny Moore as the Colts get off the schneid and beat the Panthers 27-13. In Green Bay, the Packers beat the Rams 20-3. Nobody really cares much else about that game. No offense. And to my friend Nick Cotter, who works for the Packers, if you're listening, buddy, glad you got to see a win at Lambeau Field. Sunday night football was the DeMar Hamlin Bowl between the Bengals and the Bills. Obviously, that was the game last year the DeMar Hamlin incident happened. Hamlin on the sidelines last night got a great ovation from the Cincinnati crowd. But the story, once again, was the Bengals, who still have the Bills number. Joe Burrow is all the way back, throwing for a season-high 348 yards and two touchdown passes as the Bengals beat the Bills 24-18 in a key AFC matchup for their fourth straight victory. To Monday Night Football we go, where all I can say about this game is we knew he'd eventually turn into a pumpkin. Zach Wilson, that is. Chargers win 27-6. All right, so that was our quick Week 9 recap, going through every game a little bit quicker. We got some more takeaways on these games before we get to our 7 in heaven. So let's start um, with... The Browns, as we normally do. The Browns beat the Cardinals 27-0. They have won three of their last four games. They sit at 5-3 and three right now. And if the playoffs were to start today, your Cleveland Browns would be the sixth seed in the AFC and be in the playoffs. A um, couple takeaways from this game. Obviously, the biggest thing was Deshaun Watson playing. They need him. Um, that loss against the, the, uh, the Seahawks kind of proved that. And... Um, Obviously, you know, you're paying him $230 million guaranteed. We all know the number. We know that they, you know, they kind of, you know, put aside a bunch of off-the-field issues for Deshaun because they believed in Deshaun the player and that Deshaun was going to be the um, franchise quarterback that this Browns team has not had since 1999 since the franchise returned. So they need they need him. And uh, the success of this season was always going to be uh, based on, especially when Nick Chubb went down, if Watson could be the guy that you paid for. Because this is really the first full season you've gotten with Watson. And um, I wasn't sure he was going to play against Arizona. I thought they could have beaten, they would have beaten Arizona yesterday, or Sunday. I keep saying yesterday, Sunday. They would have beaten Arizona Sunday with me at quarterback, just because how good the defense was. But Watson looked good. Um, 19 to 30, 219 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. They didn't turn the ball over. That was the big positive. Um, he had some really, really nice throws. Um, early in the game, he looked a little rusty, 
But um, he made some great deep throws. The first one was a 60-yarder to Amari Cooper. Um, then he hit Cooper in the third quarter, late third quarter. It was a beautiful ball. Cooper had Buda Baker in another corner on him, and Watson just dropped it right in the bucket. And uh, he made those throws, and it looks like, all right, your shoulder's back. He looked way more healthier, way more comfortable than he did when he tried to play against Indianapolis. Hopefully that means he's healthy and ready to go for these next two games against the Ravens and the Steelers. Um, because they need him to be the Watson that they expected or close to it. They don't need him to be the Watson that was, you know, an all pro leading the league in passing in 2020, like he was in Houston, but they need him to be, you know, a serviceable quarterback. And that's exactly what he was on Sunday. And, um, I think it was good for him to get out there against a team like Arizona because, you know, he needs to get, you know, you kind of, I don't want to call it a get right game, but it's kind of a get right game. You know, Arizona's not very good. We know this. Uh, they're starting a rookie, so you knew that, you know, every throw wasn't going to be win or loss. Like, you know, you weren't going to, you know, live and die with every throw because your defense played outstanding and well enough. The game was never in doubt. And uh, Watson got comfortable, looked comfortable, and um, I think that's a good sign for the Browns moving forward. Amari Cooper, outstanding game, five catches, 139 yards, one touchdown. Uh, but the story was the defense, and um, man, this defense is something else. They had seven sacks on the Cardinals' uh, rookie quarterback, Clayton Toon. Um, Miles Garrett, of course, having an outstanding year. Denzel Ward had an interception. I believe Sione Taki-Taki had an interception as well. Seven sacks. Um, Shelby Harris had a strip sack as well. Um, Dalvin Tomlinson had two and a half sacks. You know, the defense played outstanding. They only had 58 total yards, and the the lowest three yards uh, total by any teams in the league this year all happened against the Browns. So it was 58 yards for Arizona. It was the yards that t- the Titans, I believe it was like 96 total yards that the Titans got. And then it was 142 yards that the Bengals got against the Browns. So the top three fewest yards allowed this season in the single games belong to that Browns defense. And I've raved about this Browns defense. I've raved about Miles Garrett. I've raved about the job Jim Schwartz has done. But it's really comforting as a Browns fan, and I believe for that offense, you know, without Nick Chubb, which, you know, with, with this quarterback situation has been in flux, you know, you don't know, you haven't known who's going to play quarterback at points. But knowing that your defense is going to show up and show out most weeks and give you a chance to win and keep you in games, that's got to be such a confidence booster for the organization, for Kevin Stefanski, for everybody involved in Cleveland. And um, I, I think the defense is why the Browns are going to make the playoffs. I know we're, we're going to get to our seven in heaven in a minute. My other takeaway, which I know I've been hard on Stefanski after losses this year, um, but he's done an outstanding job this year. They're five and three. They've only had Watson for what four full games? I think he's only played four full games. They're three and one with Watson. Uh, they went two and two with PJ Walker and DTR, and they're two games above five hundred. They'd be in the playoffs that they started right now. I think they're going to get to 10 and 7. I looking at the upcoming schedule, there should be five more wins on this upcoming schedule if you can take care of business of the teams that I think they should beat. With that being said, it's the last year of Stefanski's contract. I think they got to extend Kevin Stefanski because he's done a great job. The locker room is bought in. You can tell the locker room has bought into his philosophy. Watson, his last two full starts, Watson has looked Watson-ish, and what I mean by that is like we thought he was when we 
when the Browns traded for him, that Pro Bowl guy, he's looked great. You know, obviously the game against Tennessee, 289 yards, two touchdowns, zero picks. Sunday against Arizona, 219 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He's thrown over 70% in his last two full starts, and they got to hope that continues against Baltimore. But I'm just saying, Stefanski deserves a lot of credit for having this Browns team in the position with everything still in front of you, with the playoffs and all that stuff. Despite the quarterback issue, despite the Nick Chubb injury, despite all that. So I think it's time for the Browns to extend Kevin Stefanski. As crazy as that may sound to some of you, because I know there are a lot of people who are not big fans of Kevin Stefanski. I've always thought he's a good coach, and uh, I think you got to give him at least one or two more years and see this thing out, because I think he's done an outstanding job with, you know, um, un- unfortunate circumstances this year. And he's done that the last, since 2021, you know. One shoulder Baker, they find a way to go eight and nine. Uh, with Jacoby Brissett last year, their offense was top ten. You know, with a backup quarterback, and then this year, obviously, with you know the quarterback injury, the Chubb injury, all that stuff, they still found a way to win games and stack wins and be in the position they're in right now. So I think a lot of credit goes to Kevin Stefanski. I think a lot of credit goes to Jim Schwartz and the defense and. The credit for Sunday goes a little bit to Deshaun Watson, and I'm glad that he played because the Browns need him, and I know a lot of people don't like him. I know a lot of people don't root for him, which I totally respect and I totally get, but if the Browns want to accomplish what they think they can this year, get into the playoffs and try and make a run, they're going to need him to play good football, and Sunday looks like a carryover from the Tennessee game, which is what I wanted to see his next full game out there, so that's my soapbox on the Browns. I kept it Pretty brief, I would say. Um, Some other takeaways I have about this week. Um, The Dolphins are frauds. Let's start there. (laughs) I have always been skeptical of the Miami Dolphins this year. You know, part of it was because I didn't know how healthy Tua Tunga Viola would be with the concussion stuff from last year and all that stuff. But um, they got off to this great start. You know, they're the hottest team in the AFC. They're, you know, a trendy Super Bowl pick. Two is like an MVP odds on favorite on FanDuel and everything. And I'm like, okay, great. Uh, let's see them play someone. They're 0-3 this year against teams with a winning record. After Sunday, it had been 406 days. So now it's 408 days since the last time the Miami Dolphins beat a team with a 500 or better uh, winning percentage or uh, a record above 500. So the Dolphins, they beat up on bad teams. They they uh, lose to good teams. That's what they do. And I'm not. I'm calling them frauds, and I'm not calling them frauds because I don't think they can win the division and make the playoffs. I would still pick them to win the AFC East and host a playoff game, but they're not among the elite of the elite in the league. They're not a Super Bowl contender. They're not better than the Chiefs. They're not better than Cincinnati. They're not better than Baltimore. You know, they're just not among the elite because they haven't done it and proved it against good teams. Could they become one of the elite? Of course they could. But as of right now, they haven't shown me much to, uh, you know, put them above where they were in my brain last year, which was a fringe playoff team. I think they're a little bit better than a fringe playoff team because of the struggles Buffalo is having. But they're a playoff team, but they're not a Super Bowl contender. That's my opinion on Miami. Um, The biggest story, I mean, the Houston Texans, man. I mean, C.J. Stroud. Um, 30 of 42, 470 yards, five touchdown passes, 14 touchdowns, one interception on the season. He's been outstanding. And, um, as an Ohio state fan, I loved watching CJ Stroud when he was in Columbus, uh, you know, playing for the Buckeyes. He was outstanding for two years. And, um, I was surprised. I thought Bryce Young should not have been the number one pick before the draft. 
I was surprised that it was, you know, a slam dunk number one pick for Carolina. That they were going to take Bryce Young. I thought C.J. Stroud was better. And um, I've been proven right so far. I mean, Stroud has looked miles better than Bryce Young. He has the Texans at 4-4 four and four with a, you know, an outside shot at getting a wild card spot. Which, if you would have told me the Houston Texans after last year would be at this position at 4-4, four and four, I would have said, man, who's their quarterback? Is it, you know, did they trade for like a star? And no, they drafted a star at number two overall. It's CJ Stroud. He's been outstanding. And um, D'Amico Ryans was great. This game was wacky between the, the, the Texans and the Buccaneers. It was 39 37. We got a scoregami. Um, the, the Texans kicker, Kaimi Fairbairn, got hurt in this game. Um, so they were scoring and they were having to go for two at weird points because they didn't have a kicker and then late in the fourth quarter midway through the fourth quarter they bring out a their second string or third string runner running back Dare Agunbowale to kick a 29 yard field goal and he drills it the crowd's going crazy they flash to the Miko Ryans on the sideline he's smiling ear to ear it was great and then Baker drives the uh the Buccaneers down to score they go up four with 46 seconds left but it's too much time for C.J. Stroud, who has been clutch all season long, put together a masterpiece on Sunday. And I would probably argue that C.J. Stroud is probably already a top 15 quarterback in the league. And uh, to be that good as a rookie, uh, the, the Texans fans, the Texans organization, D'Amico Ryans, everybody involved in Houston has got to feel pretty, pretty, pretty good about the future of that franchise. And um, Stroud has been outstanding. And um, I think I can't remember a time before this where it's been so clear and obvious that, you know, the first and second picks were both quarterbacks that the team who picked first chose the wrong guy. Because we're eight games in for both the Texans and the Panthers, and uh, it's clear and obvious that the the Panthers picked the wrong guy. They should have went with Stroud over Bryce Young. But, um, yeah, what a performance from C.J. Stroud. Then I mentioned the other game of the day was Vikings 31, Falcons 28, and Josh Dobbs. I mean, how about Josh Dobbs? 20-30, 158 yards, two touchdowns. He also had 66 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. They trade for him on Tuesday. He comes in, doesn't know any of the cadences, doesn't know his teammates' names, never thrown to these receivers, never you know, had this offensive line block for him. Uh, Vikings head coach Kevin O'Connell is like in Dobbs' earpiece throughout the game, funneling plays to him and explaining what each receiver is doing on each plays because he doesn't know the playbook because he just got there. And Dobbs, what does he do? He comes out, leads him on a game-winning drive against the fifth-ranked defense in the league. It was outstanding to watch. And uh, you had that ending and the Buccaneers-Texans ending happening at the same time on red zone. So good for Josh Dobbs. I mean, he seems like one of the most likable guys in the league um and uh i think the vikings have a really good chance of making the playoffs just because how easy their schedule is and it'd be pretty cool if we could see josh dobbs lead a team to the playoffs and um sunday was definitely the start of that because what a win for minnesota and josh dobbs who comes in from a leaf and gets the win so those were my other main takeaways the other one i had is are the bills gonna miss the playoffs uh Let's see. So they're five and four. Buffalo is. They lose to Cincinnati twenty-four to eighteen, which the Bengals are all the way back. I'm going to get to my seven in heaven in a minute, but Cincinnati is all the way back. Joe Burrow is all the way back, and uh, the Bengals are back to being not only you know playoff contenders, not only AFC North contenders, but uh, Super Bowl contenders as well. And I feel like an idiot for writing them off 
after they started one and three and not having them in my playoffs that week. Should have believed that Burrow would get healthy because when Burrow's healthy, he's a top two guy in the league. We know this, and uh, he looks healthy now. And what's happening? Oh yeah, they've won four in a row. So and that defense, that Bengals defense led by Lou Anarumo, you know Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson. Um, all those dudes, they have been playing at an elite level as well. So it's been, you know, a combination of Burrow getting back to being Burrow and that defense shutting opponents down. And that's really been what's gotten the uh, Bengals back into the thick of things in the AFC. But for the Bills, missing the playoffs is totally on the table for them. If the playoffs started today, Buffalo would not be in. It would be, you know, obviously Kansas City, um, Miami, Jacksonville, Baltimore in the divisions, and then it would be Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati in the wild cards. All four AFC North teams would be in the playoffs if the playoffs started today. Buffalo would not be. The Bills are 5-4. and four. Their upcoming schedule, so they have the Broncos and Jets both at home. They should win those two. So if they win those two, they're 7-4. and four. Then they go at Philly, at Kansas City, versus Dallas, at the Chargers. That's a tough, tough, tough four-game stretch. Maybe they go 2-2 two and two there. Then they're sitting at what nine and nine and six. Um, then they have the Patriots at home, who they already lost to, but I think they should win that game. Ten and six, and then they go at Miami. I think they'll probably lose. That's ten and seven. Does ten and seven get you in? I think it should. I don't know, but are, what about the Chargers? What about the the Browns? What about the Steelers? Those three teams could all easily go ten and seven as well. Um, the Bills just need to figure it out on offense because we know that defense has been banged up. They lose Matt Milano. They lose Tredavious White. Those are obviously two huge, huge pieces on the defensive side of the ball for Buffalo. But Josh Allen hasn't looked great the last couple of weeks. This offense, which, you know, was the strength of this team since that game against, um, the game against Miami on October 1st, where they won 48-20, the Bills have put up 20 points in a loss to the Jaguars, 14 points in a win against the Giants, 25 points in a loss against New England, uh, 24 points against uh, Tampa Bay in a win, and 18 points against Cincinnati. Something we, we expect more scoring and more firepower from Josh Allen in this offense. Still got time to figure out. A little bit worried about them. But uh, I think they should be all right. So those are my takeaways from the big takeaways from the week nine of the NFL season. Let's get to our updated seven in heaven playoff picks for both the AFC and the NFC. Starting with the American Football Conference, the number one seed. I almost changed it this week, but we're going to keep it the same. We're going to roll with the Kansas City Chiefs. I have the obviously the Chiefs, you know, still seven and two. Um, really haven't gotten it going on offense, which is a scary thing. Uh, like I said in the open for the rest of the league, because that defense was playing at a Super Bowl level. They're a top five defense in the league. I'll stand on that take. But you know Mahomes is gonna figure it out at some point with Kelsey, with all these young receivers. They're gonna start clicking by January, and we're gonna look up at in January. The Chiefs are gonna be 12 and 5, 13 and 4, you know, with the one seed, and we're gonna be like, man. Remember when we thought the Chiefs weren't as good because they lost to Denver and their receivers weren't, you know, catching the ball? Now look at how good, you know, Rasheed Rice is and Player X, Sky Moore, you know? Like, Mahomes is going to figure it out because he's Mahomes and he's, you know, a top 10 quarterback ever already. He's the best quarterback in the league. He's the best player in the league. He's going to figure it out because he's Mahomes. They got a great head coach in Andy Reid. But I don't know if Mahomes has had this good of a defense since he's been in the league. And uh, knowing that the defense is already set 
and that the thing we the Chiefs would need to become a foolproof Super Bowl contender, a Super Bowl favorite, is for Mahomes to round into form and get the offense going. That is a scary thought because that is totally going to happen. So I have the Chiefs at one in the AFC. Uh, two in the AFC, winners of the AFC North, in my opinion, is the Baltimore Ravens. They are also 7-2, and two, coming off a drubbing, uh, a 37-3 win against the Seattle Seahawks. Um, Lamar's been outstanding. His completion percentage is, below, is above 70% this year. Uh, that defense is Super Bowl caliber as well in Baltimore. They're like number one or number two behind the Browns. Um, in pretty much a lot, a lot of categories, they were. I know coming into the week or coming into last week, they were ranked number one in defensive defensive efficiency. I wonder if that's flipped back to the Browns being number one due to uh, the shutout against the Cardinals. But nonetheless, they got great players on that defense as well: Roquan Smith, Marlon Humphrey, guys like that. Um, Lamar has been great, and uh, really that running game, which is the best in the league. You know, it's a tandem between Justice Hill. Obviously, Lamar gets his in the running game. Justice Hill, Gus Edwards, and this 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 rookie—I forget his name. It's like Keontae something, Keontae Miller, something like that. I want to look it up so I don't so I don't uh, so I don't accidentally say it wrong. Keontae, 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 Keaton Mitchell. That's it, not Keontae. Keaton Mitchell. That's the uh, the guy I'm thinking of. But uh, I would have Baltimore at number two. They're well coached. Like we said at the beginning of the year, every time Lamar plays a full season or. The last two full seasons Lamar has played, fourteen and two, number one seed in the AFC, eleven and five. Get a, they got a playoff win, so they're always going to be in the conversation when Lamar is healthy. He's been healthy this year, and look where they are. They're tied for the best record in the AFC. I have them at number two. Number three, I have Jacksonville. Um, they were on a bye this week. Obviously, didn't play. I believe they're five and two or six and two. They do have a tough game this week against San Francisco and Jacksonville, but um, they're clearly, in my opinion, the best team in the AFC South. I know the Texans have been fun and are making some noise, but uh, I would still take the Jags and uh, Trevor Lawrence to be the three seed in the AFC. Four seed, I have Miami. I know I called them frauds a minute ago, but I believe in them more right now, and I believed in them more all season than I have in the Buffalo Bills. The other team, I would say, is you know in contention for the AFC East crown, so I'd have Miami at four. Um, yeah, they're explosive on offense. They beat up on bad teams, and luckily for them, they have a pretty, pretty favorable schedule coming up, I think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confirm that with you guys. But, uh, yeah, Miami, they're 6-3 and three right now. They have the Raiders, Jets, Commanders, Titans, and Jets the next four games. So if they win those, they're 10-3. and three. Um, Right? 7, 8. Oh, they're 11-3. and three. That's the next five games. Raiders, Jets, Commanders, Titans, Jets. They do have a, a tough three-game slate to end the season, Dallas, Baltimore, and Buffalo. But I think, you know, they're they're going to find a way to get to 10 or 11 wins, and I think they have an easier path to those wins than Buffalo does. So I will take the Dolphins to win the AFC East. Then we get a little bit of a shuffle in the 7 and heaven in the AFC. Five. It's been the Bills for the last, I don't know, a long, long time. Now it is the Cincinnati Bengals. I said it. They're back to being a Super Bowl team with Joe Burrow healthy. He looks fully healthy. Um, that defense has been outstanding all season long. Uh, obviously, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, T. Higgins. We know all the weapons they have on offense. They've been there. They've done that. The last two years, especially last year after the bye, Joe Burrow kind of took off. They didn't lose a game until the AFC Championship game. 
This year, it seems like the Bengals are going to get on a similar streak. I don't know if it'll be that as successful, but I don't see this Bengals team finishing with less than 10 wins, and I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the AFC, and I would not want to see them if I'm that if they do get that five seed, I would not want to see them if I'm whoever has the four seed in the AFC because that Burrow looks back to being Burrow, and uh, that's why I have them at five over the Browns, who I have at six in this week seven in heaven. Still believe in the Browns. I think there is a path to ten and seven. I think that gets you in. I believe in the defense more than I believe in the offense, but some positive signs from Deshaun Watson have. Um, made me more confident in this Browns team, which is why I have them at six and not seven this week. Because you look at it, you got the Ravens and Steelers. You got to find a way to go one and one at least in those games. And then the schedule kind of eases up for the next five. Uh, At Denver, which I know Denver beat Kansas City. has been playing better as of late, but that should be a win. You should win that game against Denver. Uh, so if you split with Baltimore and Pittsburgh, you're six and four. If you beat Denver, you're seven and four. I think they should beat the Rams, especially with we don't know if it's going to be Matthew Stafford or Carson Wentz because the Rams just signed Carson Wentz. Um, so I think you should beat the Rams in L.A. That's seven and four. Jaguars at home, winnable game. I'll mark it as a loss, seven and five. Chicago at home is a win. That's eight and five. Then you have Houston, the Jets, and the Bengals. I think they should beat. Houston with that defense I think they should beat the Jets that gets you 10 wins and uh, I think they're going to finish 10 and 7 I think that's going to be good enough to make the playoffs so I have the Browns at 6 this week and then 7 it's between 4 teams Uh, it's currently occupied by the Bengals but uh, the the team that isn't in my 7 in heaven that currently occupies a playoff spot in the AFC is the Pittsburgh Steelers they pulled out another uh, another win out of you nowhere playing poorly on offense for the majority of the game before Pulling that one drive out of you nowhere uh, in a 16 to 20 win against the Tennessee Titans on Thursday night. Um, they too have an easy schedule. Pittsburgh does. Um, so they're one of the teams in contention for my last playoff spot. They got green Bay. That should be a win. So that's going to get them to six and three. Then they go at Cleveland. I think they're going to lose that six and four at Cincinnati. They'll lose six and five, but they still have games against air. Then they go Arizona, new England and the Colts. So if they can win those. That'll get them to nine and eight. And I think that's probably where they're going to finish, but I don't think nine and eight gets you in the AFC. I still think you're going to need 10 wins. So that's why I have the Steelers outside the playoff picture this week. So I have the Steelers at nine and eight, missing the playoffs narrowly. The other three teams in contention for the spot, then the Buffalo bills, the Los Angeles Chargers, who are 4-4, four and four, and C.J. Stroud, and the Houston Texans. As much as I want to pick the Texans because I love Stroud, and Stroud's been one of the most fun stories in the league this year, or because I like Herbert, I got to go with the coach and with the quarterback who've been there and done that to close it out and get to the playoffs and find their way to 10 wins, and that's the Buffalo Bills. So I have the Bills at 7. So my AFC 7 and heaven playoff prediction, playoff picture for this week one kansas city two baltimore three jacksonville four miami five cincinnati six cleveland seven buffalo in the nfc it stays exactly the same i believe as it was last week so we're going to go through it quick not elaborate on much one philadelphia they're eight and one they get a big big win over dallas which gives them i believe a two or three game cushion over dallas for the time being which should be enough i think to hold them off uh, and I think Philly's going to win this division. And the good thing for Philly is, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, they're 
I think it is a good thing. They're eight and one, and they really haven't put together their best game yet. But they're still eight and one. So um, I got Philly at one in the NFC. No, number two seed is San Francisco. I think they're going to turn it around. I think they're going to figure it out. I'd be shocked if they didn't win the NFC West. So I got them at two. Three, I have Detroit. I think they've locked up that division. Four, I have New Orleans. They win against the Bears on Sunday. Um, Everybody else in the division loses. So uh, I feel pretty, pretty comfortable about that Saints pick to win the NFC South. Then I have five Dallas, six Seattle. Been the same the last couple weeks. Then the seventh seed, I have Minnesota, who I believe I had last week as well. I know, you know, Atlanta's technically still in the hunt for this. There are some other, you know, weird, scrappy teams that could get this seventh seed, like Washington, um, you know, some of, some of those other similar teams. But uh, I'm going to go with the Vikings. The Vikings have a very easy schedule. Um, they have a guy who's made NFL starts in Josh Dobbs, who played very, very well without knowing the playbook. And uh, without knowing his teammates' names. So I have the Vikings at seven. You know, they look at these next four games for the Vikings. At home versus New Orleans, I think they should win that. And they go at Denver, which, you know, tough place to play in Denver, but not a, you know, an overpowering opponent. Then they have Chicago at home. That should be a win. And then they have Las Vegas on the road. That should be a win. So they can go three and one in their next four. That's going to get them to eight wins. Then they just have, to, and then, then then they would just have to. I think nine and eight gets you in the NFC. Then they just have to win one of their final four games against Cincinnati, Detroit twice, or Green Bay at home. I think they beat Green Bay at home. That gets them to nine wins. I think they sneak in for that seven seed in the NFC. So the NFC seven and heaven once again to run through it: Eagles, Niners, Lions, Saints, Cowboys, Seahawks, Vikings. So those are my playoff picture, the uh, playoff pictures in both the AFC and the NFC as it sits right now. Let's get to our Week 10 picks before we take a quick break, talk some other sports besides the NFL. Um, we had a great week in Week 9 pick, game picks-wise. Uh, so in Week 9, it was our best week of the year game picks-wise. We went – let me count real quick. So I know this is bad podcasting, the counting, but I got to count. We went 12-2. and two. In the 14 games this week, our only misses, or last week, I should say, our only misses were we picked the Rams over the Packers. I picked that before I knew it was going to be Brett Ripon, so uh, I would have gotten that one right. And then I picked New England over Washington because I didn't really know what to expect from Washington after they traded Montez Sweat and Chase Young, uh, which Montez Sweat extended with the Bears, so that makes that trade a little better. Chase Young goes to the Niners. I don't know if I talked about that last week, but... um. And then Josh McDaniels gets fired by the Raiders. Those were the three pieces of NFL news I didn't really talk about, but I just mentioned them this week. So, uh, yeah, so I went 12-2 and two last week. Let's try and go, what, 14-0 this week? Let's try and do it. Starting with the worst Thursday night football game of all time, and that's saying something because you guys remember the Colts-Broncos game last year as much as I do. Uh, Carolina, 1-7 Carolina at 2-7 Chicago. Uh, Justin Fields might be back for the Bears. You know, it's a DJ Moore revenge game. The Bears have the Panthers pick, first-round pick this year, so it's a rare instance where even if Chicago wins against Carolina, it doesn't hurt their draft position. It actually helps their draft position because they have the Panthers' first-round pick. So for all of that, and because I think Bryce Young isn't very good yet, I'm going to take the Bears at home to win this game, especially if Justin Fields is back. Uh, I think they get DJ Moore involved a lot, and I think the Bears find a way to win on Sunday night. So that's one standalone game this week. Another standalone game, another bad matchup. The Indianapolis Colts 
at the New England Patriots in Germany uh, to the German football fans who may be listening to this. I don't know if Jack of all trades is worldwide yet. If it is, I'll, I'll you know, a, a guten tag to whoever may be listening to this. But uh, to the German football fans out there, I apologize that you have to watch uh, these two football teams play each other after watching the Chiefs and Dolphins this past week. Um, Colts at Patriots. I'm going to take the Colts in this game. Patriots are the worst team in the AFC. Um, Mac Jones is awful. And uh, I think Bill Belichick and uh, at least Robert Kraft and uh, I believe I forget who their GM is. Oh, it's obviously isn't Bill Belichick their GM as well. Am I an idiot? I think I am. Uh, but uh, I'm going to take the pa- I'm going to take the Colts over the Patriots. Patriots have been the worst team in the AFC this year. They are the worst team in the AFC record wise right now, which is hard to believe. But um, there's some rumors floating out there that if Bill Belichick loses this game bad to the Colts, that he might get fired. I don't know how much merit that has to it, but uh, I think the Colts are a better team than the Patriots are. And uh, I think they'll get that run game going. And if Minshew doesn't turn the ball over, this Colts team wins. And I think the Patriots, with all the injuries they have on defense, I think the Colts should get it done. So I got the the Colts over the Patriots. Um, Texans-Bengals in Cincinnati. I'll take the Bengals over the Texans. I would love, love, love to pick the the Texans in this game and CJ Stroud in this game. Uh, I think it's going to be close. I think the Texans are going to cover this point spread, which I believe is like somewhere between seven and a half and eight and a half. But um, I'm going to take the Bengals. I mentioned they're playing like the Bengals. We thought we were going to get this year when I picked them to win the AFC North. This is the team I was anticipating. And I think they shouldn't have trouble against the Texans at home. So I'll take the Bengals. Saints and Vikings in Minnesota. I'm going to take Josh Dobbs and ride with the Minnesota Vikings at home. Um, the fans are going to be behind him 100%. And the Saints are so up and down. Uh, so I'm going to take the Vikings in that game. Fun pick there. Uh, I'm going to take the Steelers at home against the Packers. Uh, I think Jordan Love is bad. And I think the Packers are bad. Uh, obviously they won this week against the Rams, but the Rams are bad too. The Steelers are bad, but they're good for a drive. I think that should be enough to beat the Packers. So uh, I'll take Mike Tomlin and the zombie Michael Myers Steelers in this matchup. Uh, the Titans and the Buccaneers in Tampa. Uh, is it going to be Will Levis? Is it going to be Ryan Tannehill? That will affect my pick on this game. If it's Ryan Tannehill, I'm going to take the Buccaneers. Uh, which let me Google that real quick because if it's Will Levis, I'll take the the Titans. I've been really impressed with Will Levis uh, since he's you know made some starts for Tennessee. He's looked really good, really poised. Uh, he threw the four touchdowns in the game against who was that game against? I think it was against Atlanta. And then um, which man they got sliced and diced by uh, Josh Dobbs and Will Levis. Uh, obviously, one who played at Tennessee for the Vols and the other who played for the Titans. But anyway. Uh, oh, sweet. It's Will Levis. Mike Vrabel named Will Levis the Titans starting quarterback going forward. I'm going to take the Titans over the Buccaneers then. Uh, I think Will Levis is good, and I think uh, they're good. I think Well, no, the Titans aren't good, but they're well coached with Vrabel. And I think Levis is the guy. I think Levis is the guy. I'm taking them over the Buccaneers. I'm believing in Will Levis. One of the marquee games Sunday, 49ers at Jaguars uh, in Jacksonville. There's no way the 49ers lose four in a row, right? That's my my logic for this game, so I'm going to take San Francisco. The Cleveland Browns going into Baltimore, taking on the Ravens, a team that beat them 28-3 earlier this year. 
Obviously, no Watson in that game. It was DTR who threw four picks to that Ravens defense. Um, I got to take the Ravens in this matchup. Uh, I would love to take the Browns. I think the Browns have a chance to win this game. They have a chance to win every game because of that defense. But it's a tough place to play in Baltimore. Tough place to win in Baltimore. They've been the best team in the league the last, probably in the first half of the season, and they had an outstanding game against the Seahawks. They won by 34 against the Seahawks, who the Browns did not win against. Um, That's my logic. I'm going to take the Ravens. I hope I'm wrong because I'll tell you what, if the Browns win their next two, the Browns could somehow find a way to go 2-0 against at Baltimore versus Pittsburgh the next two weeks. I'm going to start thinking division championship. I'll be back in in the AFC North. Right now, I think the Browns are a wild card team. I think the Ravens have the North locked up. I'm going to take the Ravens at home over the Browns. One of the who cares games of the week, the Falcons at the Cardinals. I shouldn't say it's a total who cares game of the week because it will be Kyler Murray's season debut in Arizona. Man, this is such a game for the Falcons to lose. This is such a spot the Falcons are going to lose. I'm going to take Arizona. Screw it. My upset pick of the week, Arizona over Atlanta. Kyler Murray's first start. I think he uh, injects you know some energy into that locker room. I think he plays well. And uh, Arthur Smith's usage of B. John Robinson has to bite him in the ass at some point. Uh, and I think this is the week it does it. We're going to go with the Cardinals over the Falcons, our upset special. Uh, Detroit at the Chargers in L.A. Give me the Lions off a bye. I think the Lions should win that game. Oh, my God. Lock of the week, Dallas over Tommy DeVito and the Giants. Jeez. Daniel Jones tore his ACL. He's out for the year. Tyrod Taylor's on injured reserve, which means only one man can save football in New York. <laughs> and it's freaking Tommy DeVito. This out of, Straight out of Goodfellas, Tommy DeVito. God, and he's awful at football. No offense, Tommy DeVito. If you're listening, I'd love to have you on the show. But, Tommy, you're not good. I'm sorry, buddy. I mean, you're good. You're good. You're in the NFL. You're a professional football player. You're good by that standard. But you're not a starting quarterback. And if the Cowboys beat the Giants in New York 40 to nothing with Daniel Jones, just imagine what they're going to do in Dallas coming off a heartbreaking loss to Philly with Tommy DeVito slinging it for the Giants. Give me the Cowboys big over New York. Then we got the Commanders at Seattle interesting game totally could see Washington winning I'm gonna take Seattle though close one another who cares dude the primetime games are freaking awful this week we've got Panthers uh, Bears I already picked that game uh the other standalone game is the the Sunday morning game in Germany Colts Patriots and then our primetime games Sunday night football Jets at Raiders in Las Vegas Oh, my God. It's Ryan Tannehill versus Aiden O'Connell. And then we got Broncos at Bills, which is going to be a blowout. So I'm going to take the Raiders over the Jets at home, I think. Uh, New coach theory. Zach Wilson is bad. The Raiders defense is actually kind of decent with Max Crosby and all those dudes. So I'm going to take the Raiders at home. Then I'm going to take the Bills at home against the Broncos. They need the win. If the Bills lose this game... They're not going to make the playoffs. I picked them to make the playoffs, so that means I think they're going to win this game. So those are the Week 10 picks. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, some managerial drama in baseball. Cleveland gets their guy, and who do I have in the college football playoff? The answer may surprise you. That's next. This is wrestling legend John Cena, and you can't see me, but you're listening to this week's episode, Jack of All Trades. Here's part two. Welcome back to Season 6, Episode 9 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. As of this time of when we're recording, it is 7.03 Eastern Time on the East Coast on Tuesday, November 7th. 
So right now, the uh, college football playoff rankings for week 10, or sorry, week 11, we just got done with week 10. So entering week 11 of the college football season are currently being released on ESPN. So I got it on the TV. I'm going to live react to the rankings and also, uh, you know, give my opinion if I think the committee got it wrong or not and tell you who I would have in my top four uh, and in the top six, you know, my last two in and all that stuff. So we're going to get to that. But uh, while we're waiting for the uh, ESPN people in the committee to release those rankings, let's talk some baseball. We have some baseball to talk about. Yes, we do. I know the season's over. First off, before we get into the manager stuff, congratulations to the Texas Rangers and Corey Seager. And uh, the Rangers win their first uh, World Series title in franchise history. Bruce Bochy obviously won three titles with the Giants, goes to the Rangers and gets them their first World Series title. He's been he's one of the greatest managers of all time. Corey Seager, one of the great postseason clutch performers of all time. He becomes just the second position player to win World Series MVP multiple times. Obviously, he did it with the Dodgers back in 2020, and now he does it with the Rangers here in 2023. The Rangers get it done um, despite not having Jacob deGrom. Uh, for the majority of the season, despite losing both Adolis Garcia, who had a postseason run for the ages, he had a walk-off home run to win Game 1 of the World Series before getting hurt in Game 2, missing the rest of the series, despite also losing Max Scherzer for the remainder of the series after his lone start, I believe it was in Game 2 as well. So the Rangers, they overcame adversity, they win in five games over the Arizona Diamondbacks to bring home their first World Series title. Uh, but the, the, the MLB stuff I wanted to talk about was the manager stuff. There were some insane manager news, um, insane manager news yesterday around the league. We'll start with the, uh, the, uh, the Cleveland guardians. They get their guy. Um, obviously, you know, Terry Francona retiring, um, stepping away from the team, you know, after 11 outstanding seasons manning the Guardians, all-time winningest manager in Cleveland baseball history. Big shoes to fill for whoever the Guardians decided to give it to, and they decided to give it to a guy with little experience who only has one year MLB coaching experience under his belt. He was the bullpen coach in Seattle last year, but he had a great playing career as a catcher, was a two-time All-Star in Oakland, and he played 10-plus years in the big leagues uh, as a catcher. It is Steven Vogt. He's your new manager of the Cleveland Guardians. He signed a three-year deal with the Guardians to be their new manager. Obviously, I anticipate that um, the deal to get extended if he has some success. Um, this guy was touted as a future manager as soon as he retired. He's only been out of playing for the for a, a last year. Uh, he seems to have a great camaraderie, great character, great um, you know rapport with guys he's either played with or. Uh, you know, interacted with in his times in the big leagues. He knows the game. I'm not worried about him knowing the game. He's been a catcher, which a catcher is one of the most um, is one of the most um, knowledgeable positions in baseball, and it's why we see so many catchers become managers. It's because a not only do they know everything about the pitching staff they catch, but they also know how to attack hitters on the other teams. So they're very smart, very knowledgeable. They know a lot about baseball in general. So I like that he was a catcher for 10-plus years, that he knows the game, that he's great in the clubhouse from all accounts, um, and uh, he was going to be a future manager. And uh, I like that he was a bullpen coach in Seattle um, because you know managing a bullpen is one of the toughest things that you have to know how to do as a manager, knowing when to take a guy out, when to put a guy in. It's one of those things that uh, you, you got to know well. And uh, I think 
uh, Stephen Vogt being a old bullpen coach for the last year is going to be good. Um, there was belief around the league that he was going to be a future manager, like I've said time and time again. But the reason the Guardians, I think, jumped on him now is because they thought if he got more coaching experience under his belt, that um, another team would hire him away. But the, a lot of the question I'm hearing is, is Stephen Vogt going to be closer to a Terry Francona hire for this front office, or is he going to be closer to a Manny Acta hire from this front office? And to that I say, I don't know the answer to that question. I know that um, the team is in a lot better position than it was when they hired Manny Acta back in, what, what it was, 2010 when they hired Manny Acta. The team's in a lot better position now. You know, they have a great young rookie, uh, well, they're not rookies anymore, great young starting rotation, great starting rotation one through five, Shane Bieber, Tristan McKenzie, uh, Gavin Williams, Tanner Bybee, and Logan Allen. They have a superstar in Jose Ramirez. They have an all-star caliber first baseman in Josh Naylor. They have two of the best defenders in the league in Steven Kwan and Andres Jimenez, who just took home gold gloves. They got a bright future. They got some great prospects as well. And they're a couple moves away in the winter from being contenders. And to the other people worried about this hire, I think you needed to get a great guy and a great a guy who knows baseball first. And I'm not worried about Steven Vogt. He checks both those boxes. The experience thing is a little bit of a worry. But how do you get experience if you, you know, there's only one way to get experience and that's to manage. And uh, if they thought he, he was ready to be a manager, they, they, they made their move. He's their guy. And with analytics in today's game of baseball, you don't really need to do, do, do too, too much. If they can bring back DeMarlo Hale and some of those other guys that were kind of in the organization already under Tito, I think this vote hire has got a chance to be a home run hire for the Guardians. So that was the first um, big move of the day for the managers. Then the Mets hired Mendoza, who, uh, what's his name? Mendoza, something Mendoza. I got to get it for you. It's um, Carlos Mendoza. So the Mets hire Carlos Mendoza. Um, obviously, the Mets uh, spent a lot of money, did not work this season, but uh, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of stars, and they have the money to spend. So um, they bring in Carlos Mendoza, who's been a bench coach the last four years. And um, so that is who th they go with uh, in New York. So that was the other move. And it was weird because that move happened and we were like, interesting. What about Craig Council? Craig Council, of course, the manager of the Brewers. Um, he's uh, gotten the Brewers to the playoffs in five of the last six years with a limited payroll. He's developed a reputation as a smart, savvy manager. He was the hottest candidate. He had the Guardians, uh, Brewers, and Mets all trying to get him. But... Then it comes out yesterday that Council is going to go to a team that already has a manager in place. And everybody's like, where the hell is he going? Is it going to be – it's not going to be Houston because they just – you know, Dusty Baker just retired. A lot of people thought maybe he's going to go to Houston. Uh, so everybody was in play after they said that. And it turns out Council does the ultimate heel turn, kind of screws David Ross in the process who gets let go from the Cubs – and the Cubs make Craig Council the highest paid manager in the history of baseball. They give him a $40 million contract over five years. They're paying him $8 million a year, which is the highest average annual salary for a manager in the history of baseball. And uh, they get rid of David Ross, who, you know, had the Cubs in the playoff picture last season. And who I don't think is a bad manager by any stretch. But uh, they go for their guy, who obviously was Craig Council. And uh, I was just surprised by uh, how all in the Cubs went. Um, they kind of went all in. I mean, now they gotta they gotta um s spend money in free agency as well. 
Um, he was obviously a popular candidate. Uh, he gets the highest salary in the game by a large margin. Um, and they get rid of their current manager who had some success in his four years managing the Cubs. So that was very, very surprising to me was um, you had Craig Council doing the heel turn saying, you know what, I'm not going to go back to Milwaukee. I'm going to go to the Cubs, take their job. David Ross gets screwed out of a job there. And the first two dominoes of the day were the Guardians and Mets hiring their guys. So I think um, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting time for Major League Baseball. Um, it was a stunner, the Craig Council move. Um, I, I just did not see it coming. Um, it's Yeah, it was, it was wild. That, it was very surprising to me to see that, um, see that happen. But he's one of the best managers in all of, of baseball. If I could pick one of – if I could have picked one of the, uh, the uh, candidates for the Guardians to have, as much as I like Steven Vogt, I would have picked Craig Council. Um, it, obviously, his contract expired with Milwaukee, so he kind of was a free agent. The Mets, Brewers, and Guardians were the three you know, finalists, but then his move to the Cubs happens out of nowhere. Obviously, he gets the big contract, which should be good for the rest of the, the managers in baseball because in the other sports, you got Monty Williams, who's the, I believe he's the highest-paid NBA coach with the Pistons. You know, you got Josh McDaniels getting paid $55 million. He just got fired. They're still paying him the rest of that salary. In baseball, they don't uh, they don't make as much money, but maybe this will be the first sign towards that. Um, I thought Council was going to go to the Mets, if I'm going to be honest, uh, because the Mets have the most money. They've been the uh, the best team, uh, not not the best team, but they have the the the, the you know the most money and probably the most talent uh, out of the Mets, Guardians, Brewers, and Cubs. He wasn't even reported on the Cubs radar because they had David Ross and the Cubs as. As early as Sunday, voiced their uh, support for David Ross. Here was uh, the Cubs owner, Tom Ricketts, after the season about David Ross. I think Rossi did a great job. He creates a great clubhouse culture. The players love playing for him. He keeps a steady, balanced approach game in and game out that you need over the course of 162 games. David Ross was also under contract for 2024 with a club option for 25. So I thought it was just very, very interesting that uh, Craig Council did the heel turn and went to the Cubs. But good for the Cubs. They're going all in. He's their new manager. The Guardians have their guy in Steven Vogt, and the Mets have their guy in Carlos Mendoza. So those are the three MLB man- managerial openings that have been filled so far. So that is what's going on around Major League Baseball. We're in the middle of the reveal of the top six of the college football playoff rankings right now. What we know right now so far on the ESPN broadcast is the f- that five and six have remained unchanged. Oregon is at six. They're eight after uh, their win this week. They're eight and one. Their only loss, obviously, coming to Washington, who stays at number five at nine and zero. They get a win, a ranked win against USC on the road. They win fifty-two to forty-two. They stay at number five. They just revealed number four. It's Florida State. Uh, the Seminoles stay at number four. They're nine and zero. Michigan stays at number three. They are nine and zero as well. Obviously, Michigan with all the uh, cheating stuff, the Connor Stallion stuff, the sign stealing stuff. They still find ways to win. They had their toughest game of the season coming up against Penn State in Happy Valley. Uh, so now that leaves us with one and two. ESPN's about to reveal them. Is it going to be Ohio State at one, Georgia at two? Or is Georgia going to jump Ohio State to be number one? Because Georgia did get a ranked win against Missouri where Ohio State kind of struggled against Rutgers, who was uh, unranked, still a solid team. So that is 
the question. I still think they're going to go Ohio State 1 and Georgia 2. We're going to get our answer in a minute. I hope they don't go to break because they totally could go to break. But with that being said, we're just kind of winging it. We're just kind of staying here because we're on ESPN's schedule. And Georgia is 2. Ohio State is 1. They did not go to break. So the top 6 remain unchanged. Ohio State is 1. Georgia is two, Michigan is three, Florida State's four, Washington's five, Oregon is six. I would make one change to this top six. So I said uh, I, I would make one change, and I think Washington deserves that fourth ranking over Florida State right now. Um, Washington has some tougher tests ahead of them with Utah, but uh, their strength of schedule with Florida State has more uh, – it, it, their their strength of schedule has been way better than Florida State. Florida State's best win is against a three-loss LSU team. I just don't understand. They're both 9-0, obviously, but the ACC is such a weak conference, way weaker than the Pac-12 is this year. Washington has an outstanding win against number six, Oregon, while Florida State's best win is against, like I said, a three-loss LSU team. So I would have Washington at four over Florida State. Um, so... That that's my opinion. Um, so, but I would still have Ohio State at one and Georgia at two. Ohio State's strength of schedule is twentieth in the nation. Their strength of record is first in the nation. They got two ranked wins uh, versus number ten Penn State at number twenty Notre Dame. Georgia's best win is against fourteenth Missouri at home. Their strength of schedule is ninetieth in the country. Their strength of record is seventh. So Ohio State has the better resume. Um, Georgia is good. But they're gonna they're gonna take on Ole Miss. They host number nine Ole Miss this week. So I think Georgia might jump Ohio State if they can win this week. That's my opinion. I would still have Ohio State number one right now, and then I would still go Michigan at three. Um, they get their first test this week against Penn State, and I would have Washington at four. I would have Oregon at five over Florida State. Yes, I think Oregon has been more impressive than Florida State this year, despite Florida State not having any losses. So I'd have Oregon at five, Florida State at six, and then there's only three. There's only four other teams I could see besides those top six. So Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Oregon, and Florida State. There's only four other teams that I would say are in. Uh, competition and realistic options to be playoff teams that if some balls bounce their way and if they went out that's texas alabama oklahoma uh not oklahoma texas alabama ole miss and penn state those are the four texas obviously would have to win the big 12 they have one of the best wins in the country at alabama though uh so if they run the table and win the big 12 they've got a good shot as a one loss big 12 champ in my opinion Alabama, if they can run the table, win the SEC, beat Georgia in the SEC title game, they got a good shot as well. Same with Ole Miss. Uh, if they can beat Georgia this week and uh, find their way into the SEC title game, they have a chance. And then Penn State, they need some help. But if they can beat Michigan this week and run the table, find a way to get into that Big Ten championship game, I could see them making it as well. But uh, those are the 10 teams, the top 10. Ohio State, my top 10 is Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Oregon, Florida State, Texas, Alabama, Penn State, and Ole Miss. So those are the 10 teams that I think have a legit shot at making the college football playoff. And with that, we're going to say so long for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at J-O-A-T Sports Pod. Follow me on Twitter Jack Burning TV or at the real J B E R N Z. Be a friend, tell a friend, share the podcast, rate the podcast five stars. And as always, I've been Jack Burney signing off. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you guys for listening. See you soon.